hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I'm your host, Brian Jewell, and I am simply delighted that you have decided to spend some of your time with us today. And as always, our promise to you is we're going to do everything we can to make that investment of your time worth your while. Now, if you lead group travel, if you plan group travel, if you take groups out on trips, there's a very high likelihood that motor coaches are a significant part of your trips and a significant part of your expense. So if you have ever wondered if you are doing the right things to book a motor coach, if you've ever wondered how to figure out whether a coach company is safe, whether they are using modern equipment. If you have ever wondered why motor coaches are so stinking expensive to charter, well, I've got the answers to all those questions today in our featured conversation with Luke Buskell, who is the president of Aero Stage Lines, which is a, a motor coach company based in the Midwest with operations in many parts of the country. Luke is a tremendous source of information and shares a lot of insight with us. You're not going to want to miss that featured conversation. Before we get there, though, let's get started with some travel news you may have missed. There's a political battle brewing over new pilot training regulations. The U.S. Senate is debating whether to loosen regulations around pilot training as part of the FAA funding reauthorization bill currently being considered in the chamber. At issue is an amendment that would reduce the number of training hours required to certify new pilots. Current regulations require between 750 and 1,500 hours of cockpit training, depending on where that training takes place. The proposed amendment would reduce that number by 250 hours for pilots coming into the industry from the military or from a university setting. Supporters of the new proposal, including the Regional Airline Association, say that existing training requirements are ineffective and overly burdensome, and that they're making it difficult for airlines to solve the nation's ongoing pilot shortage. Opponents of the proposal include the Airline Pilots Association, which says reducing training requirements would ultimately make flying less safe for the traveling public. Now, the FAA's current funding authorization ends on September 30th, so Congress has until the end of the summer to iron out a solution. Well, now it's time for the road tip segment of our show. This is the portion of every episode where we uh, dig into our extensive history of travel experience and share some tips that we think are going to help you make your trips better and more streamlined and more hassle-free, both for you and your travelers. Now, today on the show, we're talking a lot about motor coach travel, and I want to bring up something that actually didn't come up in our featured conversation today, but it's a growing part of motor coach travel. So I thought I'd talk about it today. You know, I've been traveling on motor coaches long enough that I can remember the days before motor coaches had Wi-Fi. And uh, when you were on the bus, you were pretty limited in your entertainment and connectivity options. Uh, You could either uh, watch or show a movie that uh, the tour director was watching, or you could uh, listen to music the tour director played or uh, listen to whatever lecture or commentary the tour director had to give, or you could bring your own entertainment. And I certainly did a lot of bringing my own entertainment. Nowadays, though, Wi-Fi is uh, a selling point of many motor coach charters to the point where it's almost becoming required equipment for many, many people. Now, uh, a lot of people don't understand exactly how Wi-Fi on a motor coach works. So I thought I would just give you a little bit of breakdown of what's going on there. So maybe it would help you understand when your Wi-Fi is serving your group well, when it's not serving your group well, and why that's happening. So what is Wi-Fi on a motor coach? Well, Wi-Fi on a motor coach is essentially just the same wireless internet network that you get on your cell phone. They are using uh, basically a a mobile broadband hotspot, like the kind that you could uh, get from any major mobile carrier, and uh, using some fancy gear to uh, distribute that bandwidth across the entire motor coach via a Wi-Fi network. Now, this can be good or bad news, depending on how you intend to use Wi-Fi. Uh, A lot of those networks... Uh, If you are in a big city, they have uh, what we call 5G connectivity now, which means they have a very, very fast upload and download speeds and they can handle a high 
bandwidth and a lot of data. And that's great. And I have noticed uh, being in some major cities on some motor coaches recently, the Wi-Fi signal is incredibly strong and uh, provides services that are similar to what I would experience sitting at my desk at the office or, or in my house. And that's great. But the problem is that those signals are limited to what's available in the cell network on the place uh, that you're traveling. So when you're in that major metro area, you might get that 5G signal, and that's fantastic. When you leave that major metro area and are in uh, smaller areas, uh, you may not be on a 5G signal. It may drop down to something like LTE. It maybe even uh, might drop to uh, a slower and older standard like 3G. And unfortunately, if you're traveling in really remote places or maybe in the mountains, uh, places where the landscape makes it difficult to get a cell signal, well, you're not going to get that Wi-Fi signal on the coach either. Now, that's not necessarily a problem. It's just something you need to know about. And if you have travelers who are relying on that Wi-Fi on the coach for things they're doing, you want them to know about that too. But let me give you one other tip. Uh, these networks, like I said, they're basically just using uh, a broadband hotspot on a cell network. And a broadband hotspot can only handle so much traffic, even over 5G. So you really need to set your traveler's expectations for what they can and can't do with broadband. Now, if uh, you don't have many high-tech, tech-savvy travelers in your group, it may not matter very much because uh, many of them may not even bother connecting their phones or laptops, and the ones that do uh, may not be doing a ton of uh, data-intensive work with them. But if you're traveling with younger groups, if you're traveling with people uh, who are consuming data all day, every day, streaming lots of music, video, things like that, what you're going to find is that if you have more than a handful of people connected to the network on the coach and streaming high bandwidth kind of information, it's going to slow down that network for everyone. So what I might suggest, if you are in one of those situations where you have a lot of people that are going to want to connect to the Wi-Fi, number one, set expectations. Let them know that in some places the Wi-Fi is going to be better than others, and that's just a function of the cell network. But number two, you might consider setting some ground rules because, as I said, if people are streaming movies, streaming music, that's going to eat up a lot of your bandwidth, and it means that other people hopping onto the network are not going to get the connectivity that they want or may need in that situation. So if you have a lot of Wi-Fi connected people on the bus, you might set some ground rules about uh, what they should and shouldn't be doing over the Wi-Fi network. So things like posting a picture to Instagram, totally fine. Posting on Facebook, emailing, uh, sending messages to people back home, that should be no problem for most uh, motor coach Wi-Fi connections these days. But once you get more than a few people who are trying to stream video, movies, YouTube, Netflix, Spotify, anything like that, it's going to slow things down. So you might set a ground rule saying, hey, let's use the Wi-Fi for staying connected and not use it for streaming to make sure that everybody has access to it when they need it. Uh, I think you'll find your travelers will be really understanding about that. And uh, if someone really wants to stream a show while they're on your motor coach, well, they can always do that over their mobile phone's broadband connection. Uh, because remember, if they can get good Wi-Fi on the bus, that means they're in an area where they're probably going to get good data on their own phone. So I would encourage people to stream high bandwidth things via their own broadband connections and save that motor coach connection for things that are a little bit more essential and things that are also low bandwidth. And that is your road tip of the week. Now, before we move on, I want to take a second to share a little bit of news from us. Now, as you hopefully know, we do a lot more than just produce the Gather and Go podcast here at the Group Travel Leader. We produce a whole family of tourism travel magazines to help people like you plan great trips. And you know what? Sometimes we have content that we have planned for the magazines that doesn't fit in the magazines. But that's not a problem because in addition to our print magazines like the Group Travel Leader, also have a fantastic website and great e-newsletters to supplement what we do in print and to help you plan and promote and lead better trips. So when I find myself in a situation where I don't have room in print for all the great content that our travel writers have put together for you, well, we put that content on the web for you anyway. And it's a web exclusive. 
And we've got a couple of great web exclusive articles uh, coming up right now that you can only get if you are a subscriber to our newsletter, The Group Travel Minute. The July-August issue of The Group Travel Leader, I had two great features that I simply did not have room for in print. One is a spotlight on uh, tour attractions and hotels and restaurants and things in Iowa. A fantastic destination and a fantastic article for anybody who's interested in taking a group there. We also have a really cool article on interactive museum experiences that will give you some great ideas about the kind of activities you and your groups can do in museums as you travel around the country. Where you won't find those articles is in the print issue of the July-August issue. Where you will find them is on our website and in our newsletter, The Group Travel Minute. So if you don't already get the Group Travel Minute, it's super simple to subscribe. You go to grouptravelleader.com slash subscribe, sign up there. It's absolutely free and you will be on the list to get the next issue right away. I'm going to pop that link for you in the show notes so it's easy to find. But one more time, it's grouptravelleader.com slash subscribe. You'll get the Group Travel Minute approximately twice a month in your email inbox, and you'll have access to all that extra content that you won't see in print. All right, well, it's just about time for us to move into our featured conversation with Luke Buskell. Now, as we get ready to move into that, I want you to remember, uh, you don't need to worry about taking notes because I'm actually taking notes for you. That's right. We're going to have a wrap up of that interview uh, shortly after the conversation. And I'm also putting uh, some of the most important points from the interview in the show notes on this episode, which you can find uh, just below the audio player if you're listening on your phone or you can find on the webpage for this episode. All the resources you need are right there so you can focus on just listening to this interview. And hey, I want to encourage you to stick around to after the interview and the wrap up, because after that, I'm going to share my thoughts on uh, kind of a big article that came out in the New Yorker just last weekend uh, titled The Case Against Travel. Uh, We are going to break that down a little bit because, you know, I have some thoughts on a landmine topic like that. That's going to be the topic of today's hot minute. You won't want to miss that. We'll be right back with Luke Buskell. All right, everybody, I want to take a minute to tell you about Corbin, Kentucky, home to adventure, history, and hospitality. Nestled in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in southeastern Kentucky and conveniently located off Interstate 75 by the shores of the pristine Laurel Lake, Corbin is the perfect adventure destination. It's home to Cumberland Falls and the only moonbow in the Western Hemisphere. Corbin is also the birthplace of KFC. You can still eat where it all began and tour the state-of-the-art museum to learn the unique history of Colonel Sanders. Stop by Sanders Park and take a selfie with a bronze statue of the Colonel. Then spend a day enjoying the races at Cumberland Run, Corbin's new thoroughbred harness racetrack. And if you're a food lover, Corbin is definitely the place for you. Downtown is full of locally owned restaurants, not to mention lots of great shopping. When you bring your travelers, you'll find a warm welcome because Corbin loves company. To learn more, follow the Corbin Tourism and Convention Commission on Facebook or visit CorbinKYTourism.com. All right, everybody. My guest today is the president and CEO of Aero Stage Lines, a motor coach company with operations in 11 locations around the country and a nationwide network of partners. He worked in every area of the company before becoming CEO in 2020. And in addition to running Aero Stage Lines, he's active in numerous industry groups and serves on the board of the American Bus Association. Luke Buskell, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you here. You know, motor coaches are such an essential part of almost every single group trip. Uh, And so they're important to our listeners and, and understanding the business of busing, I think, is important to our listeners in, in knowing how they can uh, take advantage of what you do uh, to, to really optimize their trips. But before we get into all those nuts and bolts, um, I think your story is fascinating. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners how uh, you came to be the CEO of a, a major national motor coach company. I was, um, you could say, born into the business. Aero Stage Lines is a fourth generation owned motor coach company, and I am part of the fourth generation. 
And uh, I, I tell people I got lucky. I, I never had real intentions of coming into the motor coach industry. My um, my family certainly did not put any pressure on me to to join the business. Um, so you know, went to school, went to college, um, was getting ready to graduate, and um, I got a phone call from from actually my dad. And what he said to me was, "Hey, there's a there's a position open within the organization." Um, it's kind of in line with what I liked was um, sales and marketing at the time. And he said, if you're interested, we'd, we'd like to offer you the position. And only under one condition is that you try it for two years. Um, you don't come and be here for a couple of months and leave. We give it, give it two years and see if it works out. And um, through some, some prayer and discussion, I, I decided to, to do that. And I, when I say I got lucky, I just totally fell in love with the business, um, really every aspect of it. Um, I really enjoyed um, the people side of it, but I really took it upon myself to not only do my job and, you know, at the, at the time sales and marketing, um, but learn every aspect of the company. Um, I wanted to learn from other people. I certainly didn't have things figured out. And that's what kind of led me to where I am today. I was able to sit under people's authority, learn from them, um, try to make my own way as well. And it just kind of grew from there. Yeah, uh, that's wonderful. And and that uh, learning process included some time behind the wheel of coaches, didn't it? It did. Yeah, I still have my CDL today. But yeah, I started driving. So in college, yeah. I was a, a motor coach operator and still today, occasionally get behind the wheel and drive a, drive a couple of charters. Yeah, uh, that's incredible. So uh, there has been tons of change in the industry, I'm sure, during uh, the time that you've been a part of it. What are some of the changes that uh, strike you most from, say, when you started driving in college to you know the world we live in now? Yeah, there's been a lot of changes. Um, I can highlight on some for you. I, I think one is the technological advancements. Um, you know, we've, I think the industry has embraced various um, advancements. They, things that include, you know, like vehicle design, enhanced safety systems, GPS, Wi-Fi, entertainment systems. Um, it's certainly played a role in fleet management, allowing operators to, you know, optimize routes, monitor fuel efficiency, track maintenance needs. Um, so I think from a technology standpoint, it's it's certainly grown a ton. I would say, you know, environmental concerns uh, or I would make environmental considerations is maybe a better way to say it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's certainly been a growing focus on environmental sustainability within our industry. Um, I've seen our manufacturers, you know, play a major role in that in developing more fuel efficient engines and hybrids and then now electric vehicles as well. Um, I think um, the motor coach industry is very green and um, I think it's certainly grown in many, many ways over the last 20, 20 plus years. Also, safety and regu- like safety regulations and standards, I've seen those really ramp up, and that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Um, certainly, the safety regulations have become more stringent, um, all at aiming to ensure passenger security. That would be, you know, improved brake systems. You know, the impl- you know, seatbelts. You know, for a while there, there was no seatbelts on motor coaches. Uh, fire suppression systems, um, emergency exits. I mean, all these things are things that have been improved upon or new from a safety standpoint. And then I've also seen a really a lot larger focus on driver training. You look at our hours of service regulations from the government, the the use of electronic logging devices um, is, is all new. And it's, and I believe it's all really, really good. I think it's helping make our industry a lot safer. Well, since you mentioned, you know, electronic records and hours of service, um, that's something that I was hearing a lot about actually right before the pandemic, it seemed like that was something that was a big issue. And then obviously, you know, the pandemic changed the focus for a lot of people. But I, I, I've heard from some people who said, you know, 15, 20 years ago, when I got into this business, uh, the driver's weren't such a limitation on a tour itinerary. And if, it, if a driver needed to kind of, you know, fudge the logbooks a little bit to put in an extra hour or two to get us to, 
you know, the next town, that wasn't a big deal, but now that's so much more difficult. G- give us your perspective on how much that has really changed and, or maybe it hasn't changed as much as people are kind of perceiving it has. It has absolutely changed. Um, you have to be very, very cognitive of your itinerary and you need to work within those guidelines to make sure your driver is legal. I'd hope that that wouldn't happen, you know, that people wouldn't fudge their logs, if you will. Um, but now it's just not an option. Um, so got to be really, really cognitive of that when you're planning your itineraries and, and work around that. Yeah. And so part of what that means is that uh, a, a travel planner, a group leader may have an idea of the itinerary that they want to run and, you know, the number of days in their head. But then when they actually go to charter a coach, there's a little bit of a reality check uh, with the coach company, right? Where somebody in your organization looks at that itinerary and says, we can't go that far in a day. Is that kind of how it works? It is. I mean, it, it, it affects the motor coach company, but it also affects the driver um, mm. directly. Um, so it's those rules are really they're very real and they got they have to be followed. Well, let's talk about what that process uh, looks like of somebody deciding they want to take a group trip. Maybe they've never chartered a motor coach before, so they they know they need uh, transportation. What is step number one in figuring out who do I call? What kind of buses, right, for my group? You know, I mean, it seems so daunting to someone who who has never done it. So, so where do you start in that process? Yeah, I think there's some really good questions you should be asking motor coach companies when you look to charter a vehicle from them. Um, Obviously, you can do a Google search and find the bus companies in your area that offer motor coach service. But I think the questions you ask really, really matter and help determining what, if the company's good or not. Um, There's a lot of phenomenal motor coach companies in the motor coach industry, and there's some that um, could use some improving as well. Um, so what are the, maybe what are the questions I would ask um, if, if you were looking to charter a motor coach? You know, I, I always kind of say this. I know this is really important to a lot of customers, but I would talk to a, um, a motor coach company about their record on timeliness, mm. meaning um, timeliness is very, very important to groups and you can ask questions, you know, do you monitor and track your, your on-time performance? Um, is there a way I can track my vehicle? I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of motor coach companies today should have, um, uh, they can give you a web address to go to and you can track the vehicle to see where it is. Um, I just know that's so important for so many groups is timeliness. So I think that is something I would be talking about. Um, the other one is certainly safety. Um, I would talk to, I would ask them, you know, you can always ask generic questions and they're going to give you a generic answer, but I, I'd be asking for more specifics about safety, you know, things like what steps do you take um, and what do your drivers do um, for training? What does that look like in your organization? You can you can go out to the FMCSA website and get an actual safety score from the government on that motor coach company and how they're performing. So I think safety is a big one. You know, you know things like, you know, how do you handle bad weather? Are there unforeseen circumstances? How does that go down? Mm. Um, how do you ensure your vehicles are safe? And I'd be looking for more specifics rather than generic answers. Have them, have them back it up with data. I think that's really, really important. Mm. Um, the drivers, you know, how do you screen your drivers before hiring? There's there, there's a list I could c- kind of go through, but f- focusing in on the safety aspect, um, there is those um, cookie cutter answers that you want to stay away from. I'd be looking for more specifics. So it sounds like, um, you, you know, if I put myself in the, the seat of someone who's planning a group trip, I'm thinking about the places we want to see, um, maybe the timing, you know, how long we need to, to get from A to B. I'm thinking about our hotels and meals and stuff. And, and probably in my mind, I'm assuming there's not going to be any big problems that everything's going to go right. But it sounds like you're saying I need to actually put on that worst case scenario hat and ask some questions about, you know, if there is a disaster, if there is bad weather, if there is an emergency, does this coach company have the proper plans in place? Is, is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, 100%. You know, one of the other questions I have, you know, if the bus breaks down, how do you know as a customer you're going to be taken care of? What are your processes to handle that if that were to happen? And, you know, 
hopefully it never will. I mean, right. <laughs> but if it does, I would be asking these type of questions to the motor coach companies so you can have some some additional peace of mind because you're you know you're you're dealing with people's lives or on vacation you've got a business to run you want to make sure the motor coach service is pretty seamless for you. So how far in advance of a trip should that travel planner start working on their charter? That's a good question. You know, I would say six to 12 months. I think that's an ideal situation. Um, The sooner you can start working on it, the sooner you can get it reserved, um, the better. Mm. And the the reality of the matter in the industry is um, through COVID and all that, Certainly, I think availability of motor coaches is more limited. Mm. So just to charter one, you you don't want to wait, um, especially if it's during those busy times in the you know spring, summer, fall time. Yeah. So I, my recommendation would be six to twelve months. Availability is is maybe more difficult to get now than pre-COVID. What what is driving that? Is it Demand? Is it um, equipment? Is it not enough drivers? Just a you know a whole brew of things. How do you see that happening? So what happened during COVID? This 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 is my understanding. I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I believe on record there was somewhere around twenty five hundred motor coach companies nationwide mm-hmm. um, to provide motor coach service. Uh, COVID hit, and you know we all went through that. It was you know very, very difficult for the motor coach industry. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the motor coach industry received from the government was some, some specific funding. It was called, it was called certs. And when you, when you look at the motor coach industry, you look at how many people applied for certs. I mean, this is money that the government gave bus companies to help them survive, but anybody in the industry had access to this money. It was, it was fairly simple to apply for if you're a motor coach company, you you would have done it. And from from my understanding, there was a little over a thousand motor coach companies that applied for it. So that would tell you, you know, certainly our availability of equipment and companies have shrunk. So I, there's definitely less um, less equipment that out there. The other issue in the industry is drivers. Um, there's not as many motor coach operators there. It hasn't dried up. Um, companies are still hiring and promoting and there's, um, I mean, world-class motor coach operators out there. It's just yeah. normally you would have a, think of it, our, you know, class sizes. Um, this is a generalization, but could easily be 50 to 75% less than they were before. Wow. Yeah. I, I want to talk more uh, about what's going on with drivers. Again, before the pandemic, we were already talking about a driver shortage and, uh, you know, the, the pandemic certainly exacerbated that. Can you help us understand why we are experiencing a driver shortage that maybe we weren't experiencing in the same way 10 or 15 years ago? I wish I had the real answer to that for you. I think that's <laughs> something we're, we're all trying to, to figure out. Yeah. You know, I, I think with the with the motor coach operators, um, I think it's for the a younger person that has a, a family life, uh, maybe a wife and some kids. Um, it's a hard lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the 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 new entry of people coming, you know, with that, the millennial generation, if you will, um, you know. To you can make some money as a motor coach operator. You can see the world. It's 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 very. I, there's a lot of really fun aspects of, to it. But if but you're just not home. Yeah. Um, so I think that is limiting um, in some ways when you look at new entries of of people that saying, hey, I want to make be a motor coach operator for my career. Yeah. Um, so that I I believe that plays into it some. And then. Um, you look at pay. Um, you, if you look at other CDL driving jobs out there, um, a lot of times you can find if you just want to make money, which that, we all know that's not what it's just about, but you can go drive other vehicles and, and make more money than as a motor coach operator. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's changing. I, I think our industry is starting to pay a lot better. Um, you look at tips. I mean, I, I think that's really changing, but I, I think that 
definitely can play into it. If, if your culture, if your company doesn't have the right culture, or you don't care for your people um, and it just becomes all about money. It's there. There's, there's ways to make more money. If, if you have a, if you have a CDL than driving a motor coach. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. So culture is something I know you think a lot about uh, and your company invests really intentionally in culture and, and your drivers. Tell us, how you find drivers because you know despite the nationwide shortage you, you guys are still able to staff your fleet and uh, and not only staff it but connect drivers with tour groups so how do you find those people who are not only of course safe and experienced drivers but also uh, have the right personality for the travel and for dealing with the people i can tell you that um whenever we want to bring in a new team member into our company we look at four key characteristics of an individual and we believe if they embody these four key characteristics, they're going to be really, really successful. Um, so the first key characteristic is that they're safe. So there's a lot of ways we measure their safety. Um, you know, you can obviously, you know, referrals, you know, you look at their driver qualifications, their experience. The second thing we look for is we look for a team member to be humble we, we don't want to work with prideful people. We want to find somebody that walks with humility, that wants to serve another person and make them better. Um, so, so we look for that characteristic. We think that's really important. That third characteristic we look for is that they're hungry. And that just means they want, they, they want to grow. They want to get better. Um, they're not stagnant with, with exactly where they are and, we, you know, our company provides opportunity for them to grow and we want to, we want them to be excited about that. We think that's a big one. And then, and then the last thing is we say they're smart and that means they're people smart. Um, we're not talking about necessarily book smart, even though that's a good thing. Um, we want to be people smart. We, in the motor coach industry, you get to interact with all different kinds of people. And we're looking for individuals that have the ability to interact with different personality types, different belief systems, and, and do it with excellence and serve them and help them be successful. So those are like, we kind of start there, Brian. We look at, you know, how are they matching in, in these areas? And there's questions behind it to try to get those type of answers. And then if they check those boxes, um, we feel like it's something we can really work with. Yeah. Uh, that's great advice, honestly, for any organization. Uh, certainly extends uh, far beyond uh, coach drivers. So let's say um, we have gone through the booking process and the planning process, and now it's time for the trip to begin. There's obviously going to be some kind of relationship between uh, the group leader or the tour director and, and the driver. Um, in your mind, what should that relationship look like ideally? And and what do leaders need to know about the best way to interact with drivers, maybe some things that they should not do, you know, to make sure they're, they're staying safe and, and keeping that relationship with the driver in a positive place. The first thing I'd say is to make sure you establish clear expectations up front, mm. um, you know, before that trip goes, you know, make sure those expectations and trip details are all given to the driver. Um, of course, the itinerary contact information, any specific instructions, regardless say it stops or timing or special requirements. I think, I think that's really important. I would also say, you know, remember to respect the driver's ex expertise, um, mm. you know, recognize and respect that the professional expertise of that motor coach driver. Um, they are professionals. They've been trained. Um, they bring a lot of value. So I think, you know, it's, and it goes both ways. Don't get me wrong. It goes both ways, but, but offering respect, I would maintain an open lines of communication, um, open and respectful communication channels with the driver throughout the trip is, is super important. I would think of the well, well being of the driver. Um, so that just means, are they getting appropriate breaks? Are you don't push them too hard. Um, and this, this will help with the communication up front, you know, making sure they have rest periods and, you know, we talked about regulations earlier, Brian, you know, make sure you're staying within those regulations and, and doing those things right. And, you know, another one I would say is a, a couple, I would say, you know, provide them feedback and recognition. Um, so 
you as a tour director can offer constructive feedback and appreciation to the driver throughout the trip, not just at the end of the trip, um, but at the end of the trip, it's also really, really valuable. And then if you were to have conflicts, um, and I'll be honest with you, what I see is I don't see a lot of conflicts with drivers and tour operators, but I'm sure I'm sure it happens. I know it happens, but handle those professionally if they do, mm. you know, you know, address concerns promptly and, you know, work towards resolving the conflicts in a fair and respectful manner. You know, don't let things brew. Don't think let things blow up. And I think if you can kind of talk about things quickly, if it's bothering you a little bit, it really goes a long way than, than waiting until something explodes. Yeah, that, that's great advice. Now, I have been on uh, tours where the driver um, was a pretty active participant. You know, once once we arrived at a destination or a you know attraction, uh, a restaurant, the the driver uh, takes care of parking the motor coach and then and then comes in and kind of enjoys things with everybody else, and they kind of become a part of the community. And I've also been on trips where the driver just waits with the coach and and is is kind of limited in how much they want to participate. It, do you feel like that is just part of the the spectrum of personalities or? Uh, do you see one way or the other as as being um, sort of the ideal expectation for uh, how drivers participate with a tour group? Well, I think that uh, my experience with tour drivers is they do like to be engaged with the group. Mm-hmm. And a lot of groups love that. And yeah. That's exactly what they want. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking earlier about just six you know, clear expectations. If the, if the driver's not totally sure, they might say, I don't want to impose or anything like that. And sometimes groups don't want them to, and that's okay too. Um, mm. You know, just remember it's a private charter or a private tour and, and you can kind of set the pace in the direction of that. So if you can say up front to the drivers, hey, we would love to have you come in and have dinner with us, experience things if you would like, you're more than welcome. Um, I, would, I would say that up front. Um, to the driver. And I think you'll find that a lot of the times they would love that. Um, sometimes there's things they have to do to the motor coach or they need to get their rest where they can't. Right. But if they can, I think most of them would welcome it, but it, they just need to know that they can. Yeah. So it's kind of on the trip leader uh, to make that overture at the beginning um, to make yeah. sure they know they're welcome. Absolutely. I think so. Yep. So, um, Cost is always a factor in booking travel, and uh, I, everybody I talk to right now says, you know, the the cost of motor coach travel has increased significantly. So, can you help us break down um, what people should expect a, a pricing structure to look like for a charter? And I know it's going to be different in different geographical areas. There's there's lots that goes into it, but what are some of the fundamental things that are going to affect the price of a charter when someone books? Yeah, the first thing I would say is certainly market conditions and demand. You know, a lot of times charter and tour pricing is influenced by supply and demand dynamics. And you think of it kind of like a hotel, but, you know, during peak travel seasons, holidays, popular events, you know, you're going to, there's a huge demand, which that can drive prices up. And that's just kind of a reality. So, you know, if you travel during a, a slower time, there's a good chance you could get a better rate. Mm. Um, for your trip. So I think it's important to say that that, that does play into it um, many times. Now, everything else in our industry has gotten more expensive. Right. So that, that's why prices have went up. So look at fuel. Look what, you can just start there. You know, you look at diesel fuel costs and the way that's really skyrocketed. It's still very high today. Another one is labor and driver costs. Uh, we talked about how we're as an industry, getting our driver pay a lot higher and, and well-deserved, by the way. It's a, that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But then also labor for mechanics and salespeople and dispatchers. It's it's a lot more expensive. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying that's a wrong, bad, necessarily a bad thing all the time, but it is. Um, it just, you look at insurance, you look at all these things, everything has went up in price. Uh, the vehicle maintenance and the cost to operate it has definitely went a lot higher. I mean, buying a new motor coach these days, um, Brian is upwards of $700,000. Holy cow. Um, so these are expensive vehicles and to maintain them is, is also expensive. And, you know, you're dealing with supply chain issues, you're dealing with shipping, you're dealing with all these things and it's just went up. 
you know, inflation, we haven't talked a ton about inflation, but it's, it's real. Uh, it's real in the motor coach industry. Um, just our general costs. You'll, you look at your financial statements, like every lineup, but line items just up a little bit. And it's not, due, I don't think it's due to inappropriate spending. It's just the reality of the matter. So, yeah. Uh, but it, it's good to know that um, there are some opportunities to maybe be strategic about when you're taking your trip uh, to try to hit market conditions in a way that um, that optimizes the price. So I think that's a good Absolutely. tip. There yeah. is. Yep. So I know that uh, in addition to, you know, everything it takes to run aero stage lines, you're also kind of involved um, certainly deeply in the in the transportation industry, but but specifically doing some things uh, to help other motor coach companies just get better at the things that uh, that you guys have, have gotten really good about. So tell us about some of those efforts and uh, if anybody wants to learn more about them, you know, how they might be able to connect with that. Yeah, thanks. We we launched a, a company called Miles Ahead online training for motor coach companies and the, the website is milesahead.training and in essence we started this company um, to provide online tra- training for motor coach operators so for a for a bus company and if you hired somebody a new driver to your company they could do all their new new driver training through our system and then we also had continued education courses that you can give to your drivers on a monthly basis or quarterly basis. It's kind of up to you to improve your, you know, improve your driver skills and make them safer. Uh, I think it's a, it really has been kind of a win-win. And as we've developed this company, um, it's turned into a lot more than just driver training, though. Um, now we have courses available to motor coach companies that um, re- around customer service. Um, dispatcher training, you know, we talked about, you know, hiring, attracting new motor coach operators and retaining them, um, marketing and sales training for, for bus companies. So it's all for the motor coach industry and it's something that we know really, really well. It, it is a side company for Merrill Stage Lines. They have their own staff and they're just kind of working and developing and working with companies. So it's exciting and we're, we're, um, we're glad to be able to offer it. Yeah. Wow. That's wonderful. And uh, for people that uh, may be interested in reaching out to your team about uh, an actual charter, uh, give us a, a rundown of the, the areas you operate and uh, how people can best connect with the company. Yeah, the best way to connect with the company is just through our website. It's aerostagelines.com. And yeah, we, we offer, um, like you said earlier, we have 11 locations um, we're in Las Vegas, Nevada, Phoenix, Arizona, Denver, Colorado, Fort Collins, Colorado, Omaha, Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, Norfolk, Nebraska, and then Des Moines, Iowa, Topeka, Kansas, Manhattan, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. So yeah, if you're in any of those areas, um, we have motor coach service. We'd love to serve you. We, Brian, we didn't talk about this much, but we, we also own and operate um, a tour company. I don't know if I've told you that or not, but we have a tour company that offers nationwide tours. And we also have a consulting company that you mentioned earlier that we work with motor coach companies across the U.S. and and we do. And um, so if anybody's looking for motor coach service and that just a one point, uh, one-stop shop, if you will, um, that company is called Aero Nationwide Ground Logistics Angle, and and we we take care of people nationwide. Yeah, wow, that's great! Amazing menu of uh, of services you guys offer. So uh, before we let you go, we have some questions we ask everybody, and these are just for fun, so you can yeah. uh, you can answer off the top of your head. Uh, when you travel, whether it's uh, on a plane or in a motor coach, do you prefer a window seat or an aisle seat? Window all the way. Yeah, just love that view. I do like the view. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can't argue with that. So what's one thing in your carry-on that you wouldn't travel without? My noise-canceling headphones. Mm, crucial. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if you had a, a free pass on an airline or a rail line or a bus line or any kind of transportation, but uh, you could go anywhere free and you had a week with nothing else to do, where do you think you would head? I would be off to Europe for yeah. sure. And... Likely kind of, I haven't been to Paris yet. I would love to go to Paris. So that'd be my spot. 
Yeah. Wow. That sounds great. So finally, uh, what's something that you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and experience again with somebody you love? Oh, that's a really good question. Okay. So I would say Vienna, Austria. Mm. I went to uh, Vienna on an insurance trip and Vienna is a beautiful city and it's also where classical music was formed. Yeah. And I actually, my wife is a classical pianist and she couldn't go with me on that trip. And I want to take her back to Vienna. That's, that's what I would do. Yeah. Sounds like, uh, you need to put that in place for a big anniversary somewhere down the, down the line, get that trip going. 100% agree. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, Luke, it's been wonderful to have you. This has been super helpful. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation with Luke Buskell. What a, a great guy and a great source of information for anybody who is involved in group travel and uses a motor coach as part of their travel programs. Now, Luke said a few things that I want to come back and hit again because I think they're really important and really helpful and I want to make sure you don't miss them. And when we were talking about how to pick a good motor coach company, Luke said, the questions you ask really matter in determining whether a company is good or not. Uh, he said, I would talk to a motor coach company about their record on timeliness. Ask if they monitor and track their on-time performance. And is there a way I can track my vehicle? And he went on to say, I would ask for specifics about safety. What do your drivers do for training? How do you handle bad weather? How do you ensure your vehicles are safe? Look for specifics and have them back it up with data. Uh, this is such important information from Luke because it's easy to assume that every motor coach company is roughly the same when it comes to uh, safety and timeliness and things like that. Uh, but we know for sure that that's not the case uh, from the data out there. And your travel program and the lives and the trust of your travelers are too important for you to entrust them to people that you don't know for sure have a great track record. And part of you knowing about their great track record comes from asking great questions. And when we were talking about driver pay and the issue with the ongoing driver shortage here in the U.S., Luke said, if you want to just make money, you can go drive other vehicles and make more money than as a motor coach operator. If your company doesn't have the right culture and you don't care for your people, well, there are ways drivers can make more money. You know, this is such a critical point because in the motor coach space and in the tour and travel space specifically, we're only ever going to be able to pay drivers so much. Now, driver pay is going up. I think that's an important part of solving the driver shortage. But uh, Luke's absolutely right. If somebody just wants to drive to make the most money they can, there are always going to be other industries that pay drivers more. And that's why, as Luke said, culture matters so much. So if you own a motor coach company, the culture you create for your drivers can be a make or break factor in their job satisfaction and whether they are willing to stick with you. And even if you don't own coaches, if you simply charter them, the culture that you create with your driver on the road can really make a big impact on whether they are willing to work with you again or whether they decide to get out of motor coaches and go do something else. Now, speaking of that, when we talked about working well with drivers, Luke said it's important to establish clear expectations up front. He said, make sure the itinerary, contact information, and specific instructions are given to the driver in advance. And remember to respect the driver's expertise. They are professionals, they've been trained, and they bring a lot of value. So maintain an open line of communication. This is so important because as we all know, a great driver can make a trip much better. A terrible driver well, that can be a nightmare on a trip. And the way that you interact with the driver is crucial in making sure that you and your customers have the benefit of a great driver relationship and not one that is strained or awkward or even potentially unsafe. Great stuff there from Luke Buskell. Well, some of you may have seen last weekend a big splashy article in the most recent issue of The New Yorker called The Case Against Travel. As you can imagine, with a headline that provocative, uh, this article caused quite a bit of controversy. And that is the topic of today's Hot Minute. 
Yeah, that's right. The hot minute is the portion of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered thoughts on a topic impacting tourism every day. And today I'm going to respond to this article written by Agnes Callard, who is a philosophy professor at the University of Chicago. Uh, I have some thoughts about her case against travel. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. This essay is a classic example of smart people saying dumb things. In this essay, Professor Callard makes the case that most travel amounts to simple locomotion. And she says that if a trip doesn't create measurable change in the traveler, it's basically worthless. Well, my answer to her is, if that has been your experience with travel, you've been doing it wrong. See, travel exposes us to the beauty of creation. And seeing a place in a photograph is a poor substitute for being there in person. But maybe more importantly, travel also gives us the opportunity to connect with people who aren't like us. And that's something we very badly need right now. You know, travel fulfills the sense of adventure that so many of us were born with. And it broadens our perspective on the world. My experience as traveling, especially when I was really young, had deep and lasting impacts on the person I would become. So if Professor Callard can't see the value in that, all I can say is that maybe she should just stay home. Well, that's the hot minute for today. As always, you are free to disagree with me and we can still be friends. But hey, whether you agree or disagree, we would love to hear from you. You can send your thoughts, questions, opinions, comments, hot takes to me at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes into that address. I would love to hear from you, to know what you think of the show, to hear what questions you have, what's on your mind. And hey, you never know. Your thoughts or questions might just be the topic of the next hot minute. And hey, while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a big favor? Would you go to your favorite podcast player? And first of all, if you haven't already followed or subscribed to the show, do that now. And then give us a review. Leave us a rating. Those are super helpful in getting the word out about our show. My thanks goes out to all of you who have done that already. My thanks as well to Luke Buskell for joining us today. On the next episode of Gather and Go, I'm going to bring you a conversation with Jessica Flores from Tourism Cares. We're going to talk all about meaningful travel and what it is shaping up to be in the future and how it is going to impact all of us as we move forward together in the tourism community. You're not going to want to miss that. Until then, though, remember this. At the end of the day, we are all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Danya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 859-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information on our podcast, magazines, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com. Hold up. 